Hello and thank you once again for tuning in to the Reptile Living Room. I'm your host as always, John F. Taylor. And today we're talking with Mark Romanski of Moonstone Dragons. Uh, Mark's been breeding various animals for a number of years. And we met Mark at the uh, Las Vegas uh, Reptile Expo. And he sits down and talks with us about uh, breeding bearded dragons, uh, some of the experiences he's had, uh, why he chose to breed the specific morphs that he's working with, which is the hypotranslucence. Um, talks about success in, uh, in the industry and what to look out for in the industry and that kind of thing. So just a real general conversation with uh, Mark, who's a really great guy. Uh, once again, his website is uh, moonstonedragons.com. And, uh, of course, we are brought to you by our sponsor, uh, comickarma.com. And that is C-O-M-I-C-K-A-R-M-A dot C-O-M. It's hosted by Mr. Michael McClarty, who's one of the... Uh, better-known individuals in the comic review business. Uh, if you're into comic books, I would definitely recommend checking them out. Once again, it's ComicKarma.com, your comic book journey destination. So, without further ado, we're going to turn it over to Mark Romanski and uh, listen in on our interview. I'm on the phone tonight with Mark Romanski from uh, Moonstone Dragons. And uh, we met uh, you, Mark, over at the Las Vegas show. Wow. Correct, Las Vegas Reptile Expo. Right, right. And uh, you just had some incredible dragons uh, there on display, and then you showed us some actual photographs from your site as well. So how did you begin uh, breeding reptiles? Well, I basically have been breeding since I was five years old. So I've been breeding for 40 years. Um, I've bred a lot of different things, rabbits, guinea pigs, Siamese fighting fish, guppies, canaries, finches. So it was only a matter of time until I got around the reptiles. Wow. And as a kid, I never really was allowed to have reptiles. I guess now as an adult, um, I started going to the reptile shows, and I just absolutely love reptiles. I mean, I like all animals. Right. I have tarantulas. I have all kinds of things. Where a lot of people think reptiles are horrible, I think they're amazing. Right, definitely. So it was only a matter of time until I got around to reptiles. Okay. All right. Now, uh, what kept you with the uh, breeding reptiles, or are you still breeding other species as well? Um, no, I'm probably turning my attention toward trying to breed some tarantulas, but right okay. now the only thing I'm really working with are the dragons. I kind of work at one thing at a time. Okay. And after a few years of it, I kind of get itchy and I move on to something else. Okay. <laughs> Very good. Now, um, what, uh, what made you choose the, uh, bearded dragons to work with? Um, for me... <coughs> I think bearded dragons are probably, as far as reptiles, the closest thing to a real pet. Where, you know, snakes don't necessarily love you. You know, one of the things that you kind of mentioned before we had the interview was, you know, why don't you go for something more cuddly? Right. I think bearded dragons are very cuddly. Uh, uh, you know, they're like puppies with scales. I mean, right. they don't bite. They're not really hard to take care of. They like being with people. They're very, very social. So that and seeing the colors and, you know, what was being worked with at the time and what was up and coming really interested me. Right. Okay. Fair enough. Now, um, in your opinion, um, what, uh, I guess take us through a daily uh, routine of uh, what it is for Mark Romanski working with Bearded Dragons. Okay. <laughs> um, well, currently with my new job, I get up at 3 o'clock in the morning. And I go downstairs and I cut up my vegetables. I come upstairs and do an insect feeding. I get ready for work. I take care of my other animals. I have parrots. I have dogs. I have other animals, too. Take care of them. And about an hour and a half later or so, after soaking the leafy greens, 
I feed the leafy greens, which will kind of carry them through the day. So they're in the old days, it was a vegetable feeding first and then the bug feeding. But because of the shift in my schedule, I now start with a bug feeding, and then I go to greens all day, and then when I get home, I do one or two more bug feedings for the rest of the, the day. Um, I get home, and I change all the cages, and I basically give all the dragons a bath every day. And then usually by 8 o'clock at night, it's lights out. And I try and squeeze everyone else in the meantime, the dogs and everybody else. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Now, let me ask you this, because um, we uh, were discussing a couple different topics at the show. One I wanted to ask you is something that I've seen on several different forums and things of that nature. What is your thoughts on uh, watering bearded dragons? I hear a lot of people say it's not necessary to soak them once a week. Then I hear other people say it is necessary. What's if you talk to ten breeders, you're probably going to get ten different answers. Exactly. And a lot of things that I do tend to fly in the face of conventional wisdom. Okay. I give my dragons a bath if time permits and I'm available every single day. Oh, okay. I, I think it keeps their skin healthier, mm -hmm. especially living in the desert. It's very dry here. You get right. cleaner sheds. It keeps the animals cleaner. It keeps them hydrated. Um, some of the negatives is that they come from a dry, arid climate, which mm -hmm. is true. They come from a drier climate. They do not come from the Sahara Desert. They actually come from green desert or actually dry woodlands. Right. So they, they do have access to moisture. Mm -hmm. um, they don't drink from bowls traditionally. I mean, some people get them to do it, but I've never had any of my drink from a bowl. And I, when I put them in the bath, they basically will drink right. if they feel like it. Um, and the other thing that people say is that it stresses them out. It will stress them out like the first couple of times you do it. But oh, now sure. I'm to the point, especially my, most of my adults, if I don't give them a bath, they're disappointed. I mean, they enjoy their time. I have a couple of dragons that would spend their entire day in the bath. You can keep <laughs> for them. I mean, they love it. But they get one every day as best I can. Okay. Very good. Now, um, on the subject of sand, because this was something that you and I discussed at the show, can you explain oh. to the listeners? <laughs> <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> About your theory on sand and why you shouldn't use it. Okay, my theory on sand is that you should never put dragons on sand. Okay. And there are people who do it. If you go onto the website, there are many, many discussions, rather heated discussions, about keeping dragons on sand. Very definitely. Where, where dragons come from is basically dry, very similar to what we have here in the Las Vegas desert. It is a crusty, sort of rocky area. It is not the shifting sands of the Sahara Desert where there's loose particles. Mm-hmm. They do probably ingest some of the soils and things, but they're not getting tons of it. Right. When you put a dragon on the loose particulate, what happens is every time they eat a bug, they ingest some of that sand. Mm -hmm. And yes, people have had dragons for years that have never seen a problem. Mm -hmm. But you know somewhere in that kinky little colon, there's a ball of sand. Mm -hmm. And anybody who's eaten something that didn't agree with them knows how miserable that makes you. Right. I can't imagine walking around with sand in your, your belly. If you go to a good qualified reptile vet, they will tell you that they've x-rayed any dragon kept on sand. This x-ray will show signs of sand in the colon. And fortunate for me, last summer I was able to speak to Dr. Jeffrey Mater, yes. who, if he is not the top reptile vet in the entire world, he is definitely the top reptile vet in this country. Yes, and definitely. if you go to vet school and take the, vet, the veterinary programs for reptiles, uh -huh. he wrote all your textbooks. Oh. And I asked him point blank, would you keep dragons on sand? And if the answer wasn't well or, you know, you know it was no, he would not do it. 
for the reasons that I explained. Right. So for me, no sand ever, ever, ever. Okay. So what do you keep your dragons on? Babies normally get paper towels. Okay. Because um, I, I keep my babies in bins, mm -hmm. and if you get the paper towels that you can actually rip off in half sheets, three right. half sheets that's perfectly in the bottom of a 56-quart bin. Okay. Um, for my older dragons, they either get brand fiber, which uh -huh. is what you go to if you go to a health food store to boost your fiber level. Right. It kind of has that appearance of sand, and if they eat it, it either passes or they digest it. Right. Or I'll just do newspaper for adults. Okay. Very cool. Now, what are some of the uh, current morphs that you're working with? Because I saw some of them, but I couldn't even explain them if I wanted to. They'd have, the listeners would just have to go to the website to check them out. So, well, my thing basically is hypotrans. Hypo meaning no black pigment and translucent meaning, you know, clear skin. Right. That, that's kind of my thing. Um, I also do citrus. Okay. Um, there are tons of things coming up and things that are out there. But for me, because of how amazing the color is when you have the clear skin, because rather than reflecting light, it kind of absorbs the lights to the glow about them. Mm -hmm. And the no black, black pigment gives you really clean colors. You know, for me, since... The dragons for me is basically all about color. You know, I don't think you can beat the color of a hypertrans or a translucent dragon. Right. Very definitely. And that showed at the ones we saw at the show, man. Those things were just incredible <laughs> animals. Well, thank you. Uh, so now, what would you say is um, the hardest part about being successful in the reptile industry? Um, I don't know that it's the reptile industry, but I think breeding in general Okay. If, you, if you're going to breed anything, to me, there's, I'm, I'm not looking to just produce more dragons. I'm looking to produce the absolute best dragons that can be produced. Okay. And I think the, the problem a lot of people have is if they don't start out with good quality stock and genetics, it's very hard to get where you're going if you don't have the genetics to get you there. Right. I'll have people contact me and they'll say, you know, I want a female or I want a male, and my question's always the same. What do you want to produce? Right. And usually that, that's a big question mark on the email. Mm -hmm. They're not sure what they want to get. And my advice to them is always, if, you know, decide what you want to produce and then buy animals that will get you to that point. Right. Where people tend to just buy animals and bring them together and kind of hope. It's always better, especially nowadays, you know, the economy being what it is, it's hard to you know, as a breeder, to sell dragons. And right. if you're producing, you know, each female can produce over 100 eggs a year. Yeah. Where are you going to go with all those babies? Right, exactly. If you produce really good quality animals that are healthy, that mm -hmm. are colorful, that are well-adjusted, it's easy to find homes for those animals. Mm -hmm. So my advice basically for people, you know, who are, you know, are looking into it or getting into any breeding program mm -hmm. is to absolutely buy the best quality stock you can from a reliable breeder who can explain the genetics and tell you how the animals were produced, and then from there, you have a really good foundation to kind of go wherever you want. Right. Either do something new or take what you already have and take it to the next level. Right. Now, that was something you were talking about at the show, too. With your animals, you actually track the bloodlines? Yes. I keep actual photo pedigrees That's what it of was, that my was. dragon. Right. The photo so that pedigree. That's what it was. So, like, five or six years from now, if I want to look back and see who the grandparents or great-great-grandparents are of the dragons I'm working with now, right. I actually have photographs of those animals. Right. So, if somebody asks me what's in the background, I can tell them. Because when people buy dragons, 
And I know from selling, especially this year, everyone wants to buy really beautiful dragons, mm -hmm. which is great. But really beautiful dragons don't necessarily produce really beautiful babies right. unless they have a solid genetic background. Right. And the best way to see what your babies are going to look like is to look at the parents and the grandparents, mm -hmm. not necessarily the dragon you have. Because one of the things that people, I think, really take for granted are double-head dragons or multi-head dragons. They're usually not very pretty. They tend to be dull. They're not the nicest colors. Right. But because they're carrying all these great genes, the babies are spectacular. It's almost like it skips a generation. Oh, interesting. And I'll show these animals to people. It's like, oh, no, I really want something that's brighter. I'm like, well, here's a picture of the parents, and here's uh. a picture of the grandparents. That's what's going to come out of these babies. Mm -hmm. and, and because I can do that, I can explain, to me, multi-heads are worth their weight in gold. Because oh, sure. they will give you recessive genes, but they'll give it to you in a healthy format. Mm -hmm. I, I would never breed two translucents together, but I love what I can produce by breeding two double heads together. I'll still have the color, I'll still have the recessive genes, but they're going to come out in a healthy form. Huh. Okay. Now, um, speaking about breeding and um, the different morphs and things of that nature, when did you first unlock the secret of how to breed the... Um, the specific genetics that you're working with now. Okay, here's the secret. There <laughs> is no secret. Oh, okay. Bre breeding is breeding, whether it's you know guppies or whether it's dragon. Mm -hmm. You know, there. I don't breed any differently now with my dragons or my reptiles than I did when I had canaries and finches. Oh wow! Okay. It's about understanding what the genes are. And you don't have to take a course in genetics to understand genetics. There are dominants, there are recessives, you know, and if you understand what the basic things are, you can put them together and create what you want. Hmm. What I wanted originally was hypotranslucent. Okay. And I really didn't want to buy them. There weren't that many out there at the time that were available really good quality. So what I did is I bought double-head dragons and made them. Oh, okay. So, sense. you know, again, you don't need a master's degree in genetics to figure it out. Just right. a basic understanding, but you need to know the genetics. Okay. That's why, you know, when you buy a dragon from a pet shop, it may be a beautiful dragon, but I always tell people don't breed them. Right. Because you don't know where they came from. You don't know what they're carrying. Right. They may have come from a big breeder in the United States, which is great, but, you know, your probability of producing great babies is going to be lower. You can smash together dragons, and some of them will be pretty. Mm -hmm. If you really do your homework and really focus on good quality genetics, you'll have entire clutches of beautiful babies. Right, right. Now, um, how do you decide, uh, how did you come to decide on breeding the uh, hypotrans as far as just, working with just, that line? Just seeing them. Okay. I mean, when you, when you see one next to a normal, when you see a hypotrans orange next to a normal orange, it's like day and night. Oh, yeah. Very and they're so vivid. They're so bright. They're so clean. Mm -hmm. Taking away the black pigment and adding the translucent. They're just amazing. When I saw, the, I mean, I visited shows and looked at dragons for five years before I bought my first dragon. Oh, wow. Yeah, so I really did my homework. What I wanted to see is what all the breeders were producing year after year. Oh, okay. I want to see who consistently put out, you know, dragons that were beautiful over and over and healthy and large and, you know, 
good ears who was producing, and I would speak to all the breeders mm-hmm. and talk to them and see who, in my opinion, was really knowledgeable and, again, who's producing that quality all the time. That's the person I want to buy my dragons from. Oh, nice. Okay. Because if they're consistently producing good stuff, if I purchase their stuff, I have now... I mean, if you think about the original dragon breeders, Mm -hmm. it took them 25 years to breed the gray dragons to the bright color dragons. Right. I can take 25 years and do it myself, or I could buy their stuff and take it to the next level or take it in a new direction. And that's what I wanted to do. Okay. As far as the breeding and that kind of stuff is concerned, who was your inspiration... Uh, for going with reptiles and sticking with reptiles, that kind of thing. Is there anyone that you look up to specifically in the industry? I would say Randy and Lisa from Alpha Dragons would be my inspiration. Oh, okay. Because they kind of have the values and the goals and kind of the ethics that I have always had. Okay. And, And when I started breeding way back in the day, it was very different than it is today. Right. Um, you know, I, I've had animals that have won best in show and I have given them to people wow. for their program, and we traded. It's it's not so much like that anymore. Oh yeah, you know? definitely. And in the old days, you know, it you know we were all happy. If everyone had great stuff, we were all happy about it. Mm-hmm. And you know, it was very very different now. Where now, you know, people don't want to tell you their genetics. People don't want to tell you the background, or they don't know the background. Right. Right. So I kind of come from a whole different school and a whole different train of thought. Right. As yeah, I've noticed breeding. that about the, I guess, the new kids on the block or however you want to say it, as far as the industry changes are concerned, it seems like a lot of the, you know, guys that started this industry, like yourself, Bob Applegate, uh, Philippe, you know, all these other folks, they're more than willing to talk to everybody. You know, they'll tell you exactly, you know, how to do whatever you want to do. And nowadays it's like, oh, no, I can't tell you that, you know, that's a secret. You know, well, there's two, well, first, I'm very flattered that you would put me in that category, but I've only been doing this for three years. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> so I am not a pioneer. I did not lay the groundwork really for anybody. <laughs> but just being in the same group as like a Bob Applegate, thank you for that. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it's, you know, because when you talk to a Bob Applegate who's been doing this for so long, and he did, you know, write the book for a lot of the things that he's done. Right. You know, they know... There are no secrets. Yeah. I will tell you anything you want to know. And on my website, I have a care sheet. And right. It's everything I do. Right. There's no, I'll tell you my supplements. I'll tell you anything you want to know. Yeah. Because exactly. I want everyone else to produce great dragons, too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I'm willing to help anybody who wants to be helped. Yeah. And that's one of the biggest things that, you know, kind of, uh, besides, I mean, of course, we saw your dragons. And that's, of course, what first drew us over to your booth at the Vegas show. But then when my son came over and told me, you know, Dad, you really got to go talk to this guy, Mark Romanski from Moonstone, he's just telling us everything. And I'm like, really? That's that's the people that we're looking for. You know, that's the people we want to talk to because you guys are so open and just are like, look, this is how you do it. This is how you get great genetics, you know, and buy a dragon and have fun. Yep. You know, and Nothing that, is worth knowing if you can't <coughs> share it. Yeah, it's just really bizarre. It seems like the industry has changed so much from, like you said, when, you know, the pioneers were there, you know, starting it out, and now it's just all, you know, everybody's secrets, trade secrets, this, that, and the other thing. It's just very strange. Now, well, what there are no secrets, and that's the whole, and I can't stress that enough, there's no secret. Yeah. You need good husbandry, good genetics, you know, keep your cages clean, keep mm-hmm. the temperatures right. 
if I give advice to anybody, it's stick to basics. Okay. You don't need fancy powders, creams, and lotions. Right. You need to have good temps, good food, keep them clean, have good genetics, and you'll be successful too. Right. Now, you speaking can't of food, take all of that. Uh, speaking of food, what is the actual? Um, give us a rundown as far as the greens that you use uh, for feeding beardies. Um, well, for bearded dragons, I'm not, I really can't speak too much to other, you know, vegetable-eating reptiles. Right. For me, it's leafy greens, um, kale, collards, um, mustard greens, turnip greens. Dandelion is like a superfood. In fact, I have my mother get dandelion seeds from back on the East Coast because our local desert dandelions are kind of spiny and nasty. Okay. So she actually sends me dandelion seeds from back east so I can grow dandelions in my backyard so I can feed them to the dragon. Wow. Because when you go to the grocery store and buy dandelions, uh-huh. you're not buying dandelion. You're buying really? a form of chicory or uh, endive, I believe it is. It is not true dandelion when you buy dandelion greens at your local supermarket. Uh-huh. So Interesting. true, true dandelion uh-huh. is a superfood. I mean, it's just oh, an amazing, okay. amazing nutritional food. And again, if you can get them out of your yard and there's no pesticides and there's no fertilizers, right? you know, they are amazing to feed your dragon. It's just like a superfood. Very cool. Okay. As far as no lettuce, no cabbage. Okay. I also will do vegetable medley, which is your corn, carrots, green beans, and peas. Okay. I, if it's babies, I will run it through a food processor so it comes out kind of grainy. Mm-hmm. If it's adults, sometimes I will give it to them straight up, but I find that the dragons only eat, some of my dragons only eat the green beans and the peas. Oh, really? So if you grind it up through the food processor a little bit, they actually are forced to eat the corn and everything else. Huh. I do that as a treat. Greens are every single day. Right. They're washed, they're clean, and they're, I don't really chop them up like, though people say chop them up very fine for babies. I leave them fairly large because I want the babies to work at chewing them off as far as captive enrichment. Okay. You need to do in those bins all day besides stare up at the light. Right. So by putting in the bigger pieces, it makes them work a little bit for their meal. I'm mm-hmm. very big on captive enrichment. Okay. Um, I also keep my dragons in groups because I don't believe dragons should be kept by themselves, which is another kind of thing that flies in the face. Wow, as far yeah. as bugs, I feed everything. I, I grow my own roaches, but I can't keep up with roaches. I do feed crickets, but I hate crickets. I feed crickets only because when I sell them, most people do feed crickets, and I want to make sure that they eat them. Mm-hmm. If you feed bearded dragons, you start getting into the superworms, which I feed, and the silkworms, and the hornworms, and the roaches. Mm-hmm. They tend to really shy away from eating crickets. Oh, so I okay. want to make sure when I place a dragon in a new home that they're going to be there ready, and you know they're going to eat out of the box. Oh, okay. So I do feed some crickets, right. and again, superworms, I no mealworms. Um, hornworms, I do silkworms, the roaches. Um, I don't really do the phoenix worms. I'll do them once in a while. I also do wax worms once in a while. Okay. But I would say my core bug feeders would be roaches and superworms. Very cool. Very nice. And what is it with the phoenix worms? I've seen those out on the market. I've never tried them personally with my beardy. Have you seen, I mean, have you used them enough to see any improvement or non-improvement? Or I don't use them enough because of the cost is so high. Right. I find them to be very, very expensive. Yeah. They do eat them. Okay. If they're not used to it, my understanding is, and I can't say this for fact, right. is that because they're very high in fat, sometimes mm-hmm. they'll make the dragons regurgitate. 
Oh, okay. They're not used to the fat level. It doesn't set their stomach initially. Okay. Um, I like the hornworms the best because if you grow them nice and big, you don't have to feed 200 to an adult. One right. or two will do the job. Yeah. So, and I just think they're healthier for them. But I, the super, uh, these worms are great, but I don't really use them a lot. Okay. Plus, here in the desert, mm-hmm. they tend to turn into the black, motionless, for lack of a better word, cocoon. Oh, right. Very quickly. So oh, okay. if I buy a huge quantity, they're mm-hmm. shot in about a week. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah I have never good. found a way in the desert, as dry and warm as it is, I guess the dry and warm, to keep them, to buy them in bulk and make it worthwhile. Because I, I can't do 250 Phoenix worms. Right. You know, I need to buy a lot of them. Yeah, no kidding. Now, um, as far as uh, the listeners are concerned, and I already know the answer to this, but, you know, got to do the whole interview and got to ask. Would you recommend this species for someone living in an apartment setting? I absolutely would. Okay. They're actually, the only difficult part of bearded dragons is ultraviolet light. If you provide the right spectrum, you know, a good spotlight, the good ultraviolet light, mm-hmm. they don't make noise, they don't bite, their poop is pretty foul smelling, which you pretty much only will get that in the morning. Yeah, true. They're a medium-sized lizard. I mean, uh, the biggest one I have is 24 inches at 900 grams, but most of them are about 20 inches, and half of that is tail. Mm-hmm. So you can keep them in a 60-gallon aquarium for their entire life, so it doesn't take up a lot of space. Right. And they're just, like I said, a puppy with scales. Yeah. I mean, they're just wonderful personality. They love to interact with you, so I think they'd be an ideal I think most reptiles would be great apartment pets because they don't make noise. Yeah, very definitely. I'm totally in agreement with you there. And I know for a fact that my uh, a friend of mine's bearded dragon actually hangs out with him when he plays video games. And sure. will actually sit there and bob its head at different uh, images that come across the screen. So it's quite interesting to see him interact with humans and video games, so, as it were. I put that in my care sheet. Take them outside with you when you go outside. Right. Take them when you watch TV. Spend time with your dragon. Right. They love interaction. Yeah. One of the reasons I keep them in groups is I know everyone will tell you they're solitary in the wild. Yeah. But if you keep a dragon by itself in an enclosure, there is no behavior. They don't head bob. They don't arm wave. If you keep them with other dragons, they start to act like dragons. Oh, true. And hanging out with people, you don't. they don't wave at me. They wave at other dragons. So I even keep male-female pairs in my breeding pairs. And I keep groups of females together. I, I don't keep any dragons solitaire. Oh, wow. Very interesting. Now, what well, nobody you... likes to be alone. I honestly don't believe... I understand I they have territories true. and things. And I'm sure I'll get grief for this statement, too. But I don't consider them to be solitary animals. Right. They're much happier in groups. No, it makes sense. And, and you are right. Because I remember when... Um, a number of years ago, when I first got uh, Bearded Dragon, uh, there was another one that came in as a rescue. And I didn't have another enclosure to put it in. And so I just, you know, barring letting it pass away from malnutrition and everything else, I had to put it in this uh, enclosure with this other dragon. And they started, you know, like you said, the arm waving, the head bobbing, and started yep. interacting with each other. And I just left them alone, and they, they're great together. So, and breeders will tell you to keep your males and females separate. Yeah. I keep my males and females as pairs, and they are always together. If they're in the hot spot, they're in the hot spot together. If they're on the cold side, they're together all the time. Really? They're inseparable. Huh. Where, you know, you think if, if they don't like to be together, one's going to be on one end, one's going to be yeah. on the other. That's not the case in my experience. 
Wow. They are always together, and they spend the entire season in the same enclosure. And for the most part, I don't do different breedings every year unless I'm forced to. This year I was forced to. But, like, next year I'm going to do a lot of the same crosses I did this year again, Mm -hmm. and they will be kept together again. They're brewmating together. They spend all their time together. Wow. Well, that's very interesting. Yeah, I know. Again, a lot of things I do fly in the face of, you know, conventional conventional, wisdom. Right, right. Or what we call conventional wisdom anyway. Yeah. Now, how is, uh, if at all, is uh, this reptile litigation and things that uh, ilk, has that had any effect on you as far as uh, your work in the industry yet? Or do you think it will? I'm not sure what you mean specifically by reptile litigation. Well, basically like the reptile, the, the python bands, and everybody kind of worried about where that's going to go and, you know, that kind of thing. Okay, here's another really touchy subject with me. <laughs> the python ban affects everybody. Right. It's not about pythons in South Florida. Mm-hmm. When you're willing to pass federal legislation because of Burmese pythons in South Florida and prevent people in Nome, Alaska from owning a ball python, which is what the bill will do. Right. That has nothing to do with the Burmese pythons in South Florida. That is a direct attack on pet ownership. Right. And today it's pythons, and tomorrow it will be poodles. Mm. And I've said this for years, and a lot of my friends say, you know, oh, you're crazy, you're a conspiracy person, which I'm not at all. (laughs) I've seen this coming a long time. And I'm not sure how familiar you are with H.R. 669, I've we heard. beat that a year ago. Right, right. That would have made animal ownership in this country, or pet ownership, I should say, yeah, I say extinct in a single generation. Right, right. And for those who don't understand what H.R. 669 was, yeah, I th- I it was th- another invasive species act. Anything except a goldfish, a dog, or a cat would be illegal to breed, sell, buy, or transfer ownership. Or transport across state lines. Right. So as a person living in in the Southwest, if I got a job in New York City, and I have, and I do, I have a cockatoo. Mm -hmm. I can't sell my cockatoo. I can't take it with me across state lines. Right. I can't transfer ownership, so I can't give it to a friend or even donate it to an animal rescue. Right. What do I do with that animal if I have to move? If I have to move to another state to take care of family members who are ill, and I have to go. Right. What happens to my pet? That's not preventing cockatoos from taking over the United States. That is a direct attack on, on pet, pet ownership. ownership. Right, right. And that's what it is. And they went out, and anything but a goldfish, dog, or cat, cockatoos and most of your reptiles have been around for a long time in the pet trade. Right. Exactly. Bearded dragons are not taking over the United States. No. Neither, no. Are, neither are Burmese pythons in the Everglades, because we all know they can't get out of South Florida let alone Washington, D.C. Yeah, I think there's more snakes in Washington, D.C. in the Capitol building than there are anywhere in the world. But that's There are, and unfortunately we elected and put them there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah definitely. But that, that's what that's all about. So when I say the python ban to somebody who has a cat, they laugh at me. When they're done with pythons, they'll go after birds, they'll go after hamsters and gerbils. It's only a matter of time before it's dogs and cats. Mm. So today yeah. it's pythons, tomorrow it's poodles. Right, exactly. I'll let you put a stop to it now. I think we should. I think you should make a T-shirt out of that. Today it's pythons. Tomorrow it's poodles. 
If anybody follows me on Facebook and I go <laughs> off on any of my animal rights things, that's my closing statement. All right. Today is python, tomorrow it's poodles. It's like the, the poem about the concentration camps. When they came for everyone else, I didn't do anything. And then when they came for me, there was no one left to stick up for me. Oh, yeah. And that's what this is about. This is about animal rights people right. pressuring our government with the millions of dollars they raise mm. and using that money against us to take away our rights to own pets. Yep. Exactly. And they're going to go after big snakes because how many average Americans are going to care if I can no longer own a snake? <coughs> they're not. And when everyone else is gone, it'll be your dog and cat. Right, right. And that was something that uh, someone was telling me the other, um, when we were talking was, you know, they said, yeah, sure, you know, not many Americans are going to care because, oh, well, it's a 200-pound snake. Who would want to own one of those anyway? Right. Well, it funnels down, folks. you got to pay attention to where this is going. <laughs> That's it's right. not just and a one stop and, you know, okay, we're just going to stop now. No, they're going to come down on everything. Right. Your animal rights groups realized years ago that spray painting little old ladies in fur coats wasn't going to change anything. <laughs> but if you can change legislation, and worse, federal legislation, right? now you can go after their agenda, and their agenda is four parts. No animals for food, no animals for experimentation, no animals for entertainment, which is circuses and zoos, and no animals for pets. Mm. And anyone who thinks that their major animal rights groups aren't about those four things is very wrong. Yep, because uh, I was actually looking into that because somebody was trying to have me sign a petition for one of the major groups, and I started looking into it. And, you know, next thing I know, I'm reading stuff about why we shouldn't keep pets and, you know, like you That's said, right. the circus and the zoos. And I'm like, wait a minute, hold on. Where are you guys going with all this? And sure enough, you, those four points you just covered... We're all in there. You just got to dig for it and look at it and what their actual, I don't want to say manifesto because it sounds like it's a communist thing, but right. basically their background is, you know, all well, about. Well, you don't have to dig. It's on their, it's on their <coughs> webpage. Oh, okay. And, uh, you know, there are people who will go on and on about, well, the poor elephants at Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey Circus. Right. Well, you know what? All the poor animals in the world are already protected by animal cruelty legislation. Right. And there is no state in the United States that doesn't have laws to protect animals from cruelty and abuse. Preventing us from having pets is not going to solve the problem, just like prohibition didn't solve the problem of drinking. <laughs> right. It doesn't work. What you need to do is enforce the laws you have, and that's the biggest problem with the Python ban. Oh, there already are laws in place. And if you wanted to stop the import of animals, that's fine. Don't bring any more in. Right. But don't tell me Fluffy in my living room is now illegal and I have gone from a tax-paying, honest, law-abiding citizen to a criminal overnight. Right. Well, yeah, definitely agree with you there. <coughs> so, and, and like all animal rights groups, one more thing, this yeah. is a real touchy subject. No, I appreciate it. It's always, don't have animals, you shouldn't have animals. But there is never anything in place to care for those animals if they're removed. Right. If you take away the elephants from Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey Circus, where do you send a hundred elephants? Right. In an animal shelter, dogs and cats get euthanized with lethal injection. Right. Those elephants will be taken out fast and be shot. Right. There's no zoo that wants them, but they want to close them down too. There's no sanctuary that can take a hundred elephants. You can't send them back to Africa. Yeah. Those animals will be destroyed. Right. 
And that's, and that's the part of the animal rights part that no one seems to get. It's not about animals. Right. It's about telling people what they can and cannot do in the privacy of their own home. Right. Exactly. Wow. That's amazing. I really hope people wake up about this whole thing and actually... They are. <laughs> little by little, you know, there are people out there like me who went from being a crackpot to, wow, maybe he's onto something. Right. You know, there there is groups like Humane Watch, which mm-hmm. points out a lot of these things that are going on. Oh, okay. If it wasn't for the Internet, HR 669 would have gone right through. Right. Thank God for the Internet. There are websites you can go to that there's PetLaw.com. There's PJAC. There's U.S. Ark. If you own a reptile, you, you better have an belong obligation, to US in my opinion, to be a member of U.S. Ark. Right. Definitely. They are out actually protecting your rights. Yes. They let you know about the legislation. They set up letters to your congressman. And if the Python ban goes through, they are preparing to sue the American government. Right. Yeah, I just They are on actually... our side. And they need our support. Yeah, because I just sent off the last petition. Uh, or signed the last letter that they sent out there, and uh, one of my senators got back to me and said, oh, well, I'm not on that uh, coalition. And I actually went back to her and said, actually, you are listed on that uh, hearing. So, And you will vote anyway. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, that was and reptile little... people are voting people. Yeah, oh, yeah, we, we are. care about too. Yeah, very definitely. Now, uh, in closing, let's talk about your uh, website here, Mark. Um, it's moonstonedragons.com. Correct. Just like it sounds, M O O N S T O N E D R A G O N O S dot com. Right. Now you have care sheets, you have photos, you have, um, gosh, I don't think there's anything you don't have on your website as far as Bearded Dragons is concerned. Um, do you keep a show schedule on your uh, website as far as when people can check you out at the next show? I don't really do a lot of shows. They kind of tend because of my work schedule on things and okay. being. You know, people think I'm a commercial breeder. I'm a very, very small breeder. Right. And if I can't bring enough animals to make it worthwhile to go to a show, I usually don't. Okay. Um, but I, if I'm going to go on a show, it's usually on my homepage under news and kind of things like what's going on. Okay. Um, I'll put down that, you know, say I have done the Denver show. Mm-hmm. You know, I did the show here in Las Vegas. I tend to do the more local things because I am a single person. Right, um, right. Not that I don't mind the 14-hour drive to Denver. I've done the Denver show a few times. Wow. But um, I tend to do more stuff online than anything else. Okay. Um, I, you know, but I try to have a website that has a lot of information. I have a, a, a section I'm working on right now, and I just haven't had time to finish about raising your own breeder, you know, feeder insects. And, oh, you know, wow. I'm trying to get some really good information out there. And, again, my information tends to be very, very different. Some people right. like it, some people don't. But <laughs> I try to get a really good sheet out there so I know if you have a dragon... You know, you can go to my hair sheet and hopefully get some great information. Yes. Or if you have one of my dragons, right. the hair sheet is there. Now, um, speaking of doing online business and things of that nature, when we were talking at the show, um, we were talking at the show and you uh, are doing a lot of international orders, is that correct? Or I've are actually, able yeah. to? I, I now have sent dragons to Europe and Asia. Okay, so I was correct in that. And yep. that can all be done uh, through online because we do have some international, well, actually a lot of our listeners are international. So you're able to do all the shipping and all the whatever. Actually, needed. I am not. Oh, okay. Um, I, I have people who've done it for me. In the case of my Asian customers, they already have people who handle their shipping for them. Oh, okay. Um, I, I personally do not ship overseas. I ship to one of the, the wholesaler, importer, exporters in the United States, and then they will send it to either Ham Germany or you know I sent to China this year. I've sent to 
Indonesia this year. I've sent to a lot of countries this year. Okay, very good. Now, uh, just in closing, once again, it's uh, Mark Romanski from Moonstone Dragons. What would be the ultimate reptile species that you would keep if you could, if money was no object and, you know, you could just basically do whatever you wanted? Ooh. <laughs> um, it would probably be venomous. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Um, I kind of have a thing for covert. Oh, wow, nice. Yeah. All but, right. you know, I don't really have the des- I would love to own one. You know, I have no desire to move to a state where I could actually do it. Right. Um, I don't know, and I don't know enough about. I've I've handled some venomous, but I don't know enough about them to really keep them. Oh, okay. So you know, that's something I I, I want to do. And our local club here in town, you know, we've talked about we do have people who do handle venomous, and if somebody has a rattlesnake in the backyard, rather than kill it, we would like to offer the service of we'll come get rid of it for you. Oh, very cool. And, and we're we have some people who do handle venomous and are experts in venomous handling. And we're trying to put together a class where we can have club members train. So when the phone call comes, oh, my God, there's a snake in my backyard, we will come get it rather than destroy the animal. Oh, wow, that's awesome. Yeah. And uh, what club do you belong to, if you want to give them a shout-out to the listeners, to anybody in the Vegas area that uh, is interested? I am a member of, and I am the recently appointed president of the Southern Nevada Herpetological Association. No kidding, Southern Nevada Herpetological Association. And now you are the president. Yes, as awesome. last Friday. Very well. Congratulations, Mark. That's awesome. Well, man. thank you. That's very cool. So yeah. now, um, are you going to be at the next Vegas show, or are you, are you uh, planning to? Or I will be there in person okay. if I don't do a booth. It, it, again, it all depends on how many animals I have left. Right. I like a lot of breeders. I don't breed year round. Right. Okay. Um, most of my breeders now are in brumation. I do have a lot of babies left, so I'll probably, I will, if nothing else, I'll be there at the Southern Nevada Herpetological okay. Association booth, but I will definitely be at the show. I wouldn't miss it for the world. It was an awesome show. Yeah, but, we had um, a great time. I probably will be there with some dragons. Okay, very cool. And uh, once again, it's uh, Mark Romanski uh, on the line with us today from uh, Moonstone Dragons. Uh, check him out at the Las Vegas Reptile Show uh, coming up in, I believe it's May again. And also check out, uh, of course, MoonstoneDragons.com, as well as the uh, Southern Nevada Herpetological Association? Society. Society, sorry. I might have said association, too. Okay. Society, I believe. All right. Well, Mark, I appreciate your time, sir, and uh, look forward to seeing you at the shows, and uh, look forward to seeing what you're coming up with in the uh, next year for uh, breeders and what you might have at the shows and stuff like that. Oh, I should have some crazy stuff next year. Awesome. Looking forward to it, Mark. I really appreciate your time. Well, thanks for talking to me. All right. We'll talk to you soon. All right. So there you have it. That was Mark Romanski from Moonstone Dragons letting us know how he takes care and how he breeds the beardies. So next week, uh, we are kicking, actually, week after next, we are kicking off with Julie Bergman from Gecko Ranch. 